Did you hear that, Mayor? This podcast contains strong language and adult content and is not recommended for all listeners. Hey, everybody. Hey, y'all. We're here with the wonderful and coveted Mr. Eric Fusele. Did I say it right? <laughs> he did, yes. Easily. Okay. Closer to him. Yes. So, well, hold on. I want to um, preface this. We're interviewing him, but I want to preface this by explaining how we met Mr. Eric. Okay. So, we took, we signed up and took a... Um, survivalist. Thank you. Survival, <laughs> survivalist class um, at the Ozark Natural Science Center. And he was our teacher, and we thought, with all the things that he was talking about and teaching us, that he would be a great person to interview for our podcast with the, all the things that we have been doing. Thank you so much for doing this with us and being here. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about you for a little bit. How did you get started in doing all of this? Uh, well, I guess I've always enjoyed being outdoors. You know, that was really where it started uh, when I was young. You know, I lived on the edge of town, so like two blocks over was pretty much the edge of town and it went woods on just for miles and miles to the next town so spent a lot of time playing outside as a kid Uh, my parents are pretty outdoorsy so you know they like to hike and camp and canoe so we did a lot of that growing up you know spent a lot of time outside like I said up until uh, my teenage years and I kind of took a break from the outdoors up until my mid-20s and then I moved up here in 2006, actually uh, 13 years ago yesterday. Where'd you move from? Uh, Well, I grew up in uh, Little Rock or Sherwood, uh, which is a suburb of Little Rock, but uh, I moved up here. Right. But after high school, I went to Louisiana and lived in Ruston for seven years. I went to school there um, and then moved up here in 2006. Uh, So... It was July 1st, 2006, and, um, you know, one of the things that drew me up here was just the natural beauty of the surroundings, uh, so. Uh, quite beautiful. Yeah, I didn't really know anybody when I first moved up here, so what I did was um, every weekend it was, you know, go out to Devil's Den and hike the Yellow Rock Trail, and then after a season of that, kind of got tired of that trail, so I started going to Hobbs and hiking the Pigeon Roost Trail every weekend, mm-hmm. and then from there just kind of moved on and started doing more out in the Buffalo River, Lost Bridge Trail up, uh, you know, Beaver Lake and uh, just start exploring around more. Um, I'd always had an interest in outdoor skills. I was a Boy Scout when I was a kid uh, and we did a lot of, you know, took wilderness survival at Boy Scout camp and oh, built shelters, yeah. slept in that. And anyway, so I guess uh, 2010, October, I took the basic skills workshop uh, with First Earth Wilderness School uh, in Southwest Missouri, just outside of Springfield. And that's where I met uh, my you know, wilderness survival skill mentors, uh, Joshua Hamlin and Bo Brown. Uh, they were, uh, Josh was teaching at that school at that time and Bo is still running the school and teaching there. Uh, they have classes every spring and fall. And um, yeah, that's, that was, I guess, almost nine years ago. And so just it's where the journey in uh, primitive survival skills began. So you haven't been teaching that whole time, like, right? For like the whole like, nine years? Right, yeah, I've only started teaching these skills in, um, guess it was 2014 maybe yeah 2014 yeah I uh, started teaching at Bodark Primitive Skills Gathering which is another Primitive Skills Gathering in southwest Missouri they have every last weekend of September uh, last full weekend of September and then have had other opportunities to teach taught a bow drill class primitive fiction fire class for um, Arkansas Living History Association there had a lot of state park interpreters come and they're interested in taking that class and learning okay. how to bring that skill back to the state parks in Arkansas to Can you explain what a bow drill is? 
Uh, it is a primitive method of making fire. Uh, you, you know, uses friction to create the heat to uh, produce fire. And it involves uh, a bow um, <clears throat> with a string or rope. <laughs> yeah, we're right by the church. <laughs> and apparently it is... Oh, I think it's 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock. <laughs> 6 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, wait till it's done chiming. I will say, <laughs> over the church bells, that when we were making our bow drills at the class that Eric was teaching, I thought we were making a bow and arrow. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I was going to have him explain what it, the bow drill is. <laughs> it's similar. You know, it has a bow, like a bow and arrow. You have a... Oh, my gosh. Except your rope and you know is or your cord is much looser than it would be on a bow and arrow and it's looser so that it can wrap around the uh, drill and so when you move the bow back and forth it spins the drill into what's called the hearth which is below the drill and as it drills into the hearth it uh, the dust or that's created from the drilling action and the heat um, and the oxygen all combine to create a coal, and then you transfer that coal to a tinder bundle, blow on the tinder bundle until you get a flame. Then you use that flame to start a campfire. Nice. So, so I have a question. Sure. Do you think the bow drill method is easier to start a fire, or like the method that people use where they take their hands and like rapidly do the weird shaky thingy? Right, spinning? that's called a hand drill method. That's uh, called a hand drill method. <laughs> <laughs> components it's definitely easier to learn on a hand drill will take more practice but the advantage is that you just need the drill and the hearth uh, and a tinder bundle so you know if, if you've mastered the hand drill I'm sure um, that would probably be you know and also I think a lot of it may depend on your situation what you have what resources you have at your disposal in a given situation so uh, but as far as learning and teaching uh, the bow drill is usually where people begin huh. It was yeah. really hard for me. It was really yeah. hard. I still haven't started a fire with mine. Yeah. I've tried. It takes practice sometimes, yeah. I mean, yeah, I know when I went to First Earth Wilderness School, I didn't get it my when I was there. You know, I had to go camping with it a few times and keep practicing, and I finally got it. And now, I guess, once you've done it so many times, it just becomes muscle memory, and it's a lot easier. Yeah. And I still fail at it. I still only have maybe like a 90% success rate. Uh, only 90%? Well, <laughs> you know, oh, poor baby. <laughs> I have a 100% fail rate. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's I can't know, even I, get it to like start. Yeah. Right? Like, like I'm the worst, but it, it that's takes why a I was like, practice. I wonder if the hand drill method would be better, or the castaway method where he's like, like going back and the forth like a pencil. The fire plow is what that's called. And that's fire supposed plow. to be really difficult. Uh, I have not tried that one, but from what I've heard from other people who have, uh, it's uh, really challenging to get it with the fire plow. Well, I guess if you're in a castaway type situation, you're going to do whatever you need exactly. to do. Exactly. It's all about right. what resources you have at your disposal. You, know? you also taught us about edibles while mm -hmm. we were taking our short hike. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite thing to teach about? Like the survivalist part or the edibles part? or? Well, it all really goes together. I mean, because, yeah. I mean, knowing what you can or cannot eat in the woods, you know, would be a crucial part of any either whether it's a survival situation or primitive living situation, you know, to distinguish the two, you know, survival you know, implies you're trying to get back to civilization, whereas primitive living or wilderness living implies that you're trying to stay out there or at least enjoy yourself while you're out there as long as you can. I mean, for me, like foraging and learning about wild edibles is, you know, it makes hiking and outdoor activities much more fun. Yeah. You know, while you're out there, you get to nibble on something. 
you know, camping trips, that kind of thing. But it's also, you know, a way of connecting, you know, with the natural world too. You know, you feel like you're directly, you know, by eating what, you know, comes from nature instead of it being mediated, say, through an agricultural system. You know, it's almost like this direct connection you have with nature. And for me, it facilitates that natural connection. So, I mean, I guess also being a plant lover, um, I do really enjoy the foraging side of things. And so it's really hard to say if I like one more than the other. Yeah. I kind of like it all. It all kind of <laughs> yeah. goes together, too. So. Well, you seem really knowledgeable. Yeah, botany is, like a, I guess, another passion of mine. And so, I mean, yeah, I, one of my sorry. best advice on learning the plants is to buy a field guide, a local, you know, Ozark Wildflowers field guide, take a hike in with you. When you see something you don't know, look it up. You know, a lot of the field, they have field guides that are color-coded by the color of the flower, you know, or there's a book called Trees of Arkansas. You know, and then you'll eventually you'll become so familiar with plants that you'll be able to recognize it without its flower, just by the leaves. So what's the easiest edible plant to recognize? Oh, there are some, oh, of course, blackberries. You know, that's one that yeah. almost everybody knows. You know, those are uh, ripening right now. Oh, so yeah. there's a lot of those around. Not far from those, another species in that same genus are wild raspberries, which are black. They look just like the raspberries you get at the store, except they're black. Okay. You know, the difference is when you pick it off cane or vine, that um, the pit will stay on the vine uh, if it's a raspberry so it'll be hollow looking when you have just okay. like a store-bought raspberry but yeah. a blackberry it comes off with it yeah. just nice. like the store-bought kind nice. um, so I mean those are pretty easy I mean there are others that have um, pretty distinctive leaves uh, passion fruit the passion flowers if you see those uh, they'll be blooming here pretty soon seems like I normally see them in July and then if you go back in a couple months uh, you can try out some of the passion flutes or maypops is what they call them they're really delicious um, but the, yeah, the leaves on those. I mean, there are some similar looking lookalikes, but not so much in the vine growing format. So, do you think you can find edibles on every trail that you've been on? Um, or is it just yeah, certain usually. Ones? I mean, it, now just because it's edible doesn't mean it's palatable, you right. know. Oh, like, there's huge difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there these green ash seeds over here are edible, you know, it's an ash tree. You see these little light green seeds um, hanging down. Um, no. Okay. Well. <laughs> wait. Wait. That yes, one. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and there's. We need to take a picture of that. Right. Oh, okay. Just yeah. Just right over yeah, here. Yeah. That. It looks like a kind of like a willow branch almost. Uh, but I think not really. you might be looking at a willow tree right oh. there. Oh uh, my uh, gosh! That's a tree that, over that's here. A brand, I can't even. Okay. My eyeballs apparently do not operate. Now we're walking over to this tree. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was not looking at yeah. that at all. I was not either. Yeah, those seeds are edible. I mean, they're not going to taste as good as, say, a blackberry or raspberry or, you know, fruit. But Tell me what you call those again. Uh, this is These are ash trees. Ash so trees. Okay. I think the seed form is called Samara. Okay. Uh, same with maple Samara. You can eat those too. So where do you find in Northwest Arkansas, like what trails or what parts of this area do you find the most edible plants on the planet? I mean, not the <laughs> planet, sorry. <laughs> um, further, I mean, my I mean, experience- you have, to, you have to like go like to Missouri or like- No, I mean, I would, you know, you can go to the state parks, of course. Um, you know, it seems like there's usually a lot more available when you're closer to water, and I think that's just because it stays wetter there longer in the year. So you're able to, you know, things are able to grow a little bit longer than in the higher up areas. Also, a lot in the city here, you're going to get a lot of invasives. Seems like along the urban trails, there's a lot of um, bush honeysuckle. Oh yeah, you know? there's tons of honeysuckle. Right. I was taking my daughter for a walk yesterday, 
and we live out in Prairie Creek, and there's like a lot of like really old, mature trees in that mm. neighborhood. And we were walking, just it smells like banana honeysuckle. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's not such a thing. So is there a thing as such as banana honeysuckle? Um, I have never heard of banana honeysuckle. I mean, there are a lot of native varieties of honeysuckle. Um, but, you know, and I, as a kid, I always really enjoyed, you know, pulling the little things out of the oh, Japanese sure. honeysuckle. Yeah. But just knowing how bad they are. Uh, I mean, that, you know, that's another strategy some people approach foraging with is um, to eat invasives uh, as long as you're not in some way helping propagate them like spitting out the seeds but if there's a way to uh, eat or uh, use the vines from say honeysuckle pull them up and make baskets out of it mm. some people will combine their you know method or their desire to remove invasives with uh, what's called wild crafting or taking things from the wild and making things out of it so, very cool like wintergreen creep or winter creeper is a vine that can be very invasive uh, some people will specifically search that out to make baskets with. So what is a good way to tell if something is poisonous that you mm. think may be edible? Usually if there are white berries, um, that's usually an indicator. Poison ivy has white berries, poison sumac has white berries. Uh, they generally said, uh, it's the general rule is to stay away from things with white berries. Uh, other than that, I mean, I wouldn't recommend eating anything unless you are sure of what it is and that you know mm -hmm. it is edible. Um, that's where you know being comfortable with your plant ID uh, comes in handy. Um, um, if you're in a situation where you're absolutely starving and there's no you know food that you're aware of, there is a method where you can slowly start off. You kind of touch it to your lips, you know, and then you wait a while see if there's a reaction. You know, then you may put it in your mouth for a little while, take it out, see if you have a reaction. Then you try chewing on it a little bit, spit it out, see if there's a reaction. Just slowly. Um, introduce make the sure. poisoning to your body <laughs> well or make sure that or just make sure there is no poison you know which it's better just you know if it's going to have a reaction you know make sure it's on your lips you know and not you know inside your digestive system so you know and then if it if you know if you go through these stages and nothing bad has happened you may try eating it you know yeah so and as long what? as you don't throw up or you know get the runs and it, it may be safe but that makes sense what is your favorite edible uh, I really like, well, it depends on what season. Uh, early spring, I'd say redbud flowers are really delicious. The tree is in the pea family, and the, the flowers taste just like sweet peas. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. They're delicious. Summer, or late summer, I really like passion fruit. That's one of my favorites. I'm trying to think if there are any others that really stand out to me as a favorite. I mean, there are some in the summertime, like um, uh, trillium. The leaves on those are really delicious. Um, Trout lilies, I try not to eat too many of them just because, you know, it seems like there's, you know, there's not a ton of those and they're only around briefly in the early spring, but mm. leaves on those uh, are pretty delicious. Greenbrier, uh, you know, when during the growing season, the fresh young shoots on greenbrier are edible before they get too woody. That's a really you tasty us, one. You had us taste that. Right, yeah. right. And, yeah, you know, really, yeah. interesting. That's, it was <laughs> it's something that is all over the place, you know, so. Yeah, and then, you know, I love, you know, wild nuts, like, you know, wild pecans, hickory nuts, mm, that yeah. kind of thing. So that's a good fall. How long did it take you to learn and be comfortable with edibles and just being out in the nature and just, mm. you know, like if you were in a, like a survival situation, mm -hmm. I have a 
really good feeling that you'd be able to find your way out of it if needed be, mm. or maybe you put yourself in no, the purpose. No, dude, we could like <laughs> survive the hell out of it. Okay, right? like, well, like you need to go on the show. Like alone. he would teach no. the squirrels how to survive. <laughs> you never really know, you know. I mean, there's a lot of really great survivalists. You know, it all really just depends on your situation. You know, I can't. You know, I think some people may think that, oh yeah, I could do it, and they get out there, and you know, Mother Nature has, teaches them differently. Oh, you know, yeah. so well, you know, definitely uh, keeping yourself humble is really important and not just so but honestly like well, how long did it take you to be comfortable with yourself and like mm-hmm. like say maybe well, like a year ago you wouldn't even talk to us about the on the podcast because you well, weren't comfortable you know what i mean like i guess it depends on what we're talking about because i mean i started learning plant id you know 2008 or 9 you know okay. started with that and then you know there are some things that i was positive that's what it is i'm positive that it's edible and just as mm-hmm. slowly taking more and more going on these foraging walks with different groups or learning more about it you know whether it be from books or um other experts in the area and just i guess it's not really a, a point it's more of depends on the plant you know and so just over time yeah i mean i would you know like y'all would be comfortable showing somebody blackberries i'm sure and feeling comfortable saying hey these are edible yeah. you know if it's something you've been around a lot let me tell you, you a little super quick story about blackberries so when we, my husband and I moved into our house in Bella Vista a few years ago, um, the people that had lived there previously had like a massive blackberry infestation mm. in the backyard. Yeah. So it was my sworn and personal duty mm-hmm. to unmask the half of the Varbask yard by <laughs> mowing down they all will, these blackberry bushes. Those over. things took over. That's and good. I left a few because my daughter loved them. Mm-hmm. You know, she loves blackberries. Yeah, yeah. So the few that I left though, in like a year, started taking over the whole thing mm. again. And I'm like, and we were trying to have a garden and all yeah. this stuff and it just wouldn't, they just, it well, was, they were, and they stick to, they, <laughs> there were pokey bushes and they made mm-hmm. me angry and. Yeah, they ugh. can be difficult to get through. The thing, what you might've just been doing is cutting off the top part. And if you're not taking out what was underground, there was so much though. Like mm-hmm. we try, I tried super hard to get all the roots, but it I just gotcha. was not. Yeah feasible the way blackberries grow is you know there's the underground part and it'll sh- put up a cane yeah what that's called and uh, a cane lives typically two years so the first year it's growing and putting out leaves second year it flowers puts out fruit then it dies hmm. and then and also if the tip of that touches the ground or gets in the ground it'll put out more roots there and so that's one way they'll spread damn it's just and so prolific, like little fucker huh? no yeah, yeah they, it's, it's they, crazy and like, then there is an invasive you know species a uh, himalayan blackberry that and that may have been really wanted. large like, i feel like that's what looking yeah ours was it might have been because that will take over and uh, it's hard to control and it was unkempt for whoever knows how long mm-hmm. but it was it took me a good week just to even expose our it's only six seventeen. why is it going off again i think it's two minutes slower than our clocks that was the 15 minute um, mark. That was the 15 minute mark. Don't you know how charge bells, Amanda? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> Do you have a grandfather clock in your house? Um, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Next so, question. Um, have you listened to our podcast? I have. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to one of the episodes when you are at uh, Devil's Den. Nice. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. What'd yeah. you think about it? I enjoyed it. Yeah. It was really cool. I think okay. you. Um, when you had your husband out there, uh, he was more okay. quiet the whole time, yeah. but just with y'all. Um, and yeah it, it was interesting and then i've seen a little bit of the blogs you know where y'all just talk about different things and uh, well thanks for checking that yeah, out yeah i was Definitely. like i'm gonna ask him but i'm gonna listen yeah we're um we're, i mean we're work we're trying to we're working on improving everything i know mm-hmm. sound quality has been a big issue um and it's just 
we just don't have the resources right now to right. like buy all the necessary equipment to make it better right. but i feel like we do okay yeah for yeah. what we have and i feel like mm -hmm. sit down stuff is a lot better obviously mm -hmm. um and it's just difficult when we're like walking because right you know but i think that's what makes us unique too because i don't know that there are a lot of other podcasts that do that either mm -hmm. like walk and have activity yeah that's true talking, but then whenever you know. like they can't hear you then i'm yelling at them and vice versa <laughs> hey, you know what it's all right yeah, yeah. Um, we'll figure it out we're working on it yeah it's learning everyone's on a learning curve so yeah so have you ever been interviewed by podcasties I before have not. no this no. is the first, <laughs> first yay podcast. you are actually our first like non-related interview okay. as well because well, cool. we interviewed our dad but <laughs> we interviewed yeah. each other and we interviewed each other <laughs> And I'm pretty sure, didn't we, like, slightly interview Paula a little bit, too? Yeah. She's our sister-in-law, so, okay. like... Is that who came with y'all to the class? Yes, yeah. okay. yes. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really... It's really cool for us, so um, yeah. hopefully we're doing okay. Definitely. Okay, next question. Um, so, what would you consider the most basic slash important survival skill to know? Well, that's a good question. Shelter. Because okay. that will get you through a night if it's super cold, going to be cold that night. Um, you don't necessarily need fire to get through one night. You, uh, you don't need food to get through one night. You don't need water, but you need shelter uh, during certain times of year. Sure. Uh, middle of summer, not so much. But after that, you know how to get water. I guess would be your second most important. And then, you know, knowing fire can help you with treating the water, but there are other methods that don't involve fire. And then food and fire somewhere after that. Just all the basic necessities <laughs> of life. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you can't go as long without water as you can with food, you know, so water yeah. definitely yeah. comes before so what's food. what's the general rule with water? Oh, uh, well, you have live water like this creek down here. You don't want to drink yeah. that. You you know, especially an urban creek like this, it's going to have a lot more no. in it than, in, you know, yeah. um, going to have runoff from the different impervious surfaces like parking lots and whatnot. Um, but like spring water you get in the wild, like is that... You, generally on the okay side or I mean, um you can take your chances with it uh sometimes it is sometimes it's not it depends on if there are any bacteria um that are infecting it or infesting it okay. um, well because when we tried the waterfall at devil's den my husband's like you guys are gonna get diarrhea for like two weeks and you're an idiot yeah. so oh, but um, we totally didn't though and yeah, it was like <laughs> it was really clear it wasn't like yeah. really murky oh yeah anything like that i'm yeah. yeah, drinking from springs before nothing's happened yeah you know uh now you know if it's coming off a rock like that it's gonna be cleaner than if it's in like a sand bottom creek you know yeah less sediment you know but you know i wouldn't take it if it's going through a bunch of the algae or anything you know like sometimes you'll see um i mean and i've you know joshua hamlin the guy that you know taught me originally taught me a lot of stuff was uh had told me about how he will slowly when he goes into the wild will slowly adjust himself to live water you know you mix a little bit with uh fresh water um then slowly increase it uh, and your kind of stomach will adjust and he's had said he's had Girardia several times and it's you know not fun but it's in this part of the world it's not life-threatening uh, because weight would kill you is through dehydration you're basically going to have the runs uh, and you're going to lose a lot of your water but if you just keep drinking water eventually the you know Girardia will work its way out you'll be sick and miserable for a few days or weeks but um, and you'll, he said, what really generally happens after you're feeling better is that you'll still have sulfur burps that may stick around for a month. But yeah. it's not fun, but it's not life threatening to say if you're in the desert and you got Girardia where you can't replenish your water. Yeah. That's where it's really, you know, life threatening. Yeah. Here it's just you just got to wait it out kind of thing and keep yourself hydrated. So, why would you like want to do that? 
To drink live water? Like, yeah, what would be... I mean, well, obviously, if you're in a survival situation, that's, like, the only, your only source of water. I understand mm -hmm. that. But, like, why would you voluntarily try um, to adjust your body to that? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, for some people, it's about being able to live in the wild for extended periods of time. And so, you know, just not having to worry about boiling it um, or, you know, filtering it somehow. You know, it's more readily available when you need it and not so much where you have to, like have a bunch that you've boiled for 30 minutes you know yeah okay so it's just a convenience factor i'm sure for uh have you ever people. done that i've only drank from like springs like unfiltered water from springs mm -hmm. i've never drank from a creek Ugh. so mm -hmm. well i guess when i was in boy scout i tried it in like a riffle area where you know it was clear because it was a gravel bottom and nothing happened but it's been 30 years ago so. yeah okay Bravo. Mm. so um I know you said if people want to learn more about edibles and trees and things like that, mm -hmm. then there are several books. Mm -hmm. How else? <clears throat> right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, uh, yeah, we have classes at the Ozark Natural Science Center, but there are also other uh, sc um, schools and uh, workshops that happen in this area. I try to advertise those um, in this Facebook group that I created called Ozark Rewilders. Uh, so go join the Facebook group. <laughs> so um, you know that you can find out about them there. Uh, sometimes you just do a general Facebook search or Google search and find out about other stuff. Uh, the you know Ozark chapter of the Arkansas Native Plant Society. Sometimes you know there's a lot of people that go on those hikes that know a lot about wild edibles. There is going to be a book. Uh, Bo Brown, um, the guy that owns First Earth Wilderness School, uh, is under contract right now to write uh, Foraging the Ozarks for Falcon Guides, which is a field guide, they write field guide series. Oh, uh, cool. So um, I'm not sure when he's supposed to have that finished, but he's a very knowledgeable person, so that will, should be on the shelves, I imagine, within a few years, you know, at the latest. Really so that'll be super Yeah, fantastic. that'll be a very regionally specific foraging guide. So there are other foraging books, but they focus more on like Eastern United States. So there's stuff that grows here. That's what I was going to say. Like when mm -hmm. I did a Google search for specific wild mm -hmm. edibles in this area, mm -hmm. it's not very specific to this right. area. It's it's more region-wide. Right. right. And most right. of the ones that are going to be covered in those books do grow here. They're common yeah. enough to grow here. So I mean, it's a lot of the same plants. I mean, there are some, you know, yeah, plants. Yeah, but flip through shit that don't even grow here. Like, <laughs> right. give, me some, give, me the, give me the useful stuff. A lot know? of times what they cover, though, are like the plants that are more common that you're going to run into. So, yeah. You know, there yeah, are some true. species like green ash and white ash that, you know, grows all over the eastern United States. You know? Do you teach your family these things? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. My youngest, I mean, when I met my wife, uh, her daughter, my stepdaughter, you know, she was already eating dandelions and had that interest so yeah it's oh, one so thing you we guys did like had an immediate connection <laughs> didn't you you and your oh, yeah, wife oh yeah that's so, that is so yeah i mean that's one of the things we really connected on in the beginning so uh yeah and then taking going out hiking with them and you know teaching them different wild edibles was fun and then when my youngest was born um it was maybe she's about a year old i think it was uh you know we didn't want to do it too early we want to kind of slowly introduce things to her you know for allergic reactions that kind of thing start off with you know, safe stuff, not nothing in the legume family um, until we knew that she wasn't allergic to peanuts, just to be mm -hmm. on the safe side, that kind of thing. And yeah. uh, she's gotten to where, like, every spring she's excited about violets. You know, violets are high in vitamin C and something you can eat. And it's another thing to consider is where you're finding them, like a park like this where they might be either spraying pesticide or oh, you might have dogs yeah. urinating. You know, you don't want to go, you know, forge yeah. on that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But if it's off the trail in the woods, you know, on, in an urban trail, you know, off the trail a little bit's probably safe. 
you know, um, or definitely out in the Buffalo or, you know, somewhere like that, you're probably safe, but, um, it's definitely, you want to consider where you're getting your food. If it's on a utility right away, sometimes they spray pesticide through there and herbicide, uh, to keep down the vegetation. You don't want to eat that sometimes on roadsides, depending on the county and what their practices are. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah. 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 Um, what has been your most valuable experience being on the wilderness? Hmm. And where was it? Well, well, there was one time, I believe it was around the 4th of July, Upper Buffalo Wilderness area, the Bowen Gulf section of it. And I was going to, it's my first time, I was going to try and make, build a primitive shelter. Oh, okay. And so I went really deep in the woods. Uh, several miles from a vehicle, um, just following the creeks, built the wiki up, you know, tied it together with cordage I'd made myself, you know, filled it in serendipitously right then as I was finishing it, had a chance to test it out because a huge storm was coming through nice. that I didn't, you know, wasn't expecting. Yeah. And it was a very windy, heavy rain kind of front that was coming through and after it passed it calmed down but I got to get in it and test it out and you know there was definitely still some leaky spots you know um, but they could have been fixed uh, you know and that was really fun uh, just you know I'd spent maybe you know a couple hours two or, th- or maybe three hours on it um, and so it was just kind of perfect timing but uh, since it seemed like since I became a dad, I haven't had as many opportunities. That oh, kind of happens, yeah, <laughs> you know. So yeah, over the last couple of years, we struggle with too with the podcast, you know. Yeah. And it's finding time. It's you finding know. time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's probably been two years, maybe. No. Yeah. Yeah. Two years since I've been backpacking. So do you yeah. prefer hammock when you're backpacking? Oh or yeah, tent? definitely. Uh, I used to always have a tent, but once I went hammock, I never went back. Yeah. I mean, you don't, it's easier than finding a level spot on the ground. You know, all you need is two trees, which isn't an issue, and, you know, the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, for me, much more comfortable, you know, than sleeping on the ground. Uh, I seem to sleep better. And then I like kind of being exposed. Um, to me, I, I feel like more like I'm sleeping outside, whereas you know, in a tent, kind of, you know, it's... Sheltered away from Yeah, yeah, it feels like there's a wall there, you know, yeah. even but if you the don't like, flies off. like, the bugs and stuff, like, get in your face and... Um, I, I mean, I'm I not like, had... I sound like a huge girl right there, but I'm like, <laughs> oh, like the bugs in my face. I think part of also <laughs> spending time outdoors is expanding what you're comfortable with, you know? Yeah, that's true. And the more you expand that, uh, the less it bothers you. I mean, mosquitoes I'm not a fan of, but sometimes, you know, you just wear some sleeves uh, that can help. Mm. Um, it depends on where you're camping if you're, you know, in some areas seem like they're better than others about mosquitoes. And then, you know, uh, you know, I found that, you know, with a sleeping bag, uh, you can usually uh, get well, at least the lowest temperature I've ever been in a hammock has been in the low 40s, upper 30s. So the sleeping bag I have seems to be just fine in a hammock, keeping me warm through the night. So Very cool. Very, very cool. And plus it's less in your pack, so it takes up less room. Yep. It's less weight than a tent, and it's just more convenient. You know, it's better to pack with than a, a little solo tent. So with your knowledgeable of edibles, do you even pack food to go backpacking with? Oh, I do, yeah, definitely. But I like to supplement it with what yeah. I find out there, you know, uh, trail double or, you know, uh, maybe, you know, incorporate some of it into what we're cooking. Uh, but yeah, I typically, I usually just live off a of couscous. You know, it seems to be something that's lightweight and, and small. And then whenever you, you know, create it, it expands a lot. So, and it's filling and, I've, you know, well, then also bring, I'll mix up little spice packets that I'll mix in for dinner or then like maybe a breakfast uh, mix, you know, with like sugar, brown sugar and 
cinnamon, that kind of thing, and have breakfast couscous and just kind of live a lot never off of that. I never thought about couscous. That's yeah. a very I don't even know if I've ever even eaten couscous. Just yeah. try I it first one, before you. <laughs> I have one time, and it it was okay. Is it yeah. similar it to quinoa? Uh, yeah, but the grains are smaller. Yeah. And it uh, it cooks a lot quicker. I mean, you just heat up some water. And then mix it up, and then within a few minutes, it's ready to go. Interesting. So quinoa seems like you have to cook it for longer before it's, you know. Yeah, I've never actually cooked it. I've just had it. Yeah. So um, is anybody else out there that also used to pronounce quinoa as quinoa? (laughs) (laughs) Me! (laughs) It definitely looks like quinoa. I probably would have said, I can't remember if I heard it pronounced first or saw it first, but if I saw it first, I probably would have said Quinoa. Yeah, I definitely used to say Quinoa, and mm-hmm. then my friend was like, mm, that's not how you pronounce that. <laughs> I had a I'm girl like, that I worked with, she was like, do you like Quinoa? I was like, the who's, what the hell are you saying? I don't know. Everything <laughs> I really like backpacking are those little uh, flavor packets for water. I found like around a campfire at night, mm-hmm. you know, just add one of those to your waters just enough to it's lightweight but it's enough to really like pick up your morale if you're exhausted you, you could know. also bring a margarita oh yes i've heard that on your <laughs> po- podcast <laughs> we like to take those little eight ounce uh-huh. cans yeah they're pretty lightweight yeah yeah definitely something to have fun with around the fires you know so we're gonna go on our my second over you did your first yeah yeah my husband and i did our first so we're gonna go on our first either the weekend of the 13th or the mm-hmm. weekend of the 22nd. We haven't decided. Cool. Yeah, we haven't decided. Where y'all going? We don't know. We were going to ask you what you recommend. Well, um, how well do y'all know the Buffalo River area? Not at all. Okay. We are brand new to this. Yeah, I mean, I have always really enjoyed the Bowen Gulf part of the Buffalo River area because it's like a hike-in, hike-out kind of place, but you're not too far from really great spots, you know, and it's a place you can hike, and there's when I've been out there, there's usually not a other, you know, it's not like Hawksbill Crag where there's a ton of other people out there. So oh, yeah. you have a lot more privacy. Um, and how far is that? Uh, that would be near Boxley. Um, so a couple hours? Yeah, a couple hours from yeah. here. Okay. That would be doable. Uh, that's yeah. probably the place I've gone to the most. Um, and how long do you think, so we're going to go on a hike on the 4th too. Mm-hmm. Do you, how long do you think it would take for us to actually like hike it? Like, how long is the trail? Or is it like at, a... At Bowen Gulf? Yes. Uh, I mean, it's a kind of a trail where it, it, it will end, and then it's a bushwhack from there. Oh, okay. Um, and what I would really recommend, if you haven't been out there, is to buy, if you don't already have it, Tim Ernst's Waterfalls book. Um, or... Yeah, we have like a... Like a... Oz, an, I don't remember what the name of it is. It's like an Arkansas ozarks trail guidebook okay and there is stuff in there from the buffalo river i just don't okay i don't recall if that specific one is look for magnolia falls magnolia falls Uh, that's out there and that's probably the closest one to the trailhead okay also in his buffalo river hiking trails book i think you'll find it in there too bowen Mm -hmm. b-o-e-n gulf um and it's more of just an area so there's a trail out there but i mean it's really a fun place to explore very cool uh there's some really nice waterfalls and then another thing about that is you know We've had a lot. We've had a wet June, but you know, here in a couple of weeks in July, if it doesn't rain a whole lot, then they might be a trickle. I'm yeah. so. so sick of the rain. <laughs> oh my gosh. Rain is good when you're wanting to go see waterfalls or float, but yeah, not oh if you're wanting gosh. to. I, I don't mind hiking in the rain in the summertime, but when it. Well, I think that's. All right. 
Is Let's there anything? Life. Thank you for uh, letting us steal you for a little while. Certainly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks for, <laughs> thanks and for if asking. you guys ever want to come out on a hike with us, sure. We are absolutely yes. open to people joining us. Is there any other words of advice or wisdom that you want to let people know that you think is valuable information? Um, I'd say if you're just getting started with hiking, you know, uh, take it at your own pace and make sure you're having fun with it. That's the mm -hmm. important thing. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And um, don't be afraid to just stop and rest and sit and enjoy the surroundings. You know, sure. sometimes just finding a nice rock to, I mean, there's been times when I've been on a long hike and I've gotten hot and I've laid down on a cool rock and fallen asleep and woke up and there's bugs crawling all over me and you know but those times out there you know whenever you reach that comfort level where you're not worried about bears or anything the stuff that's in your unconscious or subconscious and you realize you know it's not likely to happen that's when it becomes really enjoyable and peaceful and therapy in a yeah. way so. i think that's one of the reasons we do our margarita breaks on our hikes is yeah. so we can enjoy the nature and exactly. just conversation and Kind of yeah, removes nice any sort of anxiety. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're not getting like trashed. Right, I know. Even though that would be really <laughs> cool. We do not recommend <laughs> while you're trashed. Especially. That's not the point. That's later around the campfire. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> Are we sure? No, I'm kidding. Okay. Yeah. That's definitely all valuable information. Thank you so much for meeting with us. Definitely, um, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to take your class again. Yeah. Yep, we'll be around the ball and then again this next spring. It's, it's gonna, gonna be a, a spring fall kind of deal. The wrap. Dreams of the rotten little horse. <laughs> oh yeah, my name is Big Fat Hawkers. They are some really cool Uh, the big fat hiker. <laughs> Come on, buddy! <laughs> <laughs>